Hello, and welcome to the Scriptcast. I'm your host, Allison Malden. This week, I have a hilarious and poignant one-hour dramedy by L.A. screenwriter and comic Aaron Smith. The script ripped me right out of my comfort zone, but it kept me laughing the whole time, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Tune into the next episode of Scriptcast Conversations for my chat with Aaron about this raunchy, inspiring, big-hearted script. Now for a little news. This episode concludes Season 1 of the Scriptcast. While I had originally planned a six-episode season, I find myself in desperate need of a break, so I'll be taking a hiatus, but I hope you'll stick around, because I'll be continuing Scriptcast Conversations, and we'll hopefully expand into even more exciting adventures in podcasting in the coming months. Please, please subscribe and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, and share it with your friends on social media. Every share helps. Okay. Let's get to the good part. It's time to put on your headphones, close your eyes, unless you're assembling furniture, and enjoy the show. Emily Quiver by Aaron R. Smith. Hold open. Exterior. Galilean shore. Dusk. Outside an ancient stone village, a shrouded woman, late thirties, staggers towards the tumultuous tide coming from the Sea of Galilee. She collapses to her knees. Waves crash against her body as she desperately removes the shroud. Tears cascade down beatific features. Her weeping crescendos into cathartic bellows over the open water. The tide suddenly becomes saccharine. A man's voice, a calming baritone, echoes off the water. It's okay, my child. The woman pivots around to scan the beach near the barren village. Nothing. Be of good cheer. The voice's echo, she quickly realises, is coming from the sea. She turns back to find a silhouette calmly walking atop the tide in her direction. It is I. The sun beams through a cloud to reveal Jesus of Nazareth in all his bearded glory, reaching the shore. Her sadness dissipates into unfettered joy. He pauses within inches of her and extends a hand. Awestruck and beholden, she sheepishly reaches for it. Jesus pulls her up to eye level. Be not afraid. After a silent moment of eye-gazing, he guides her hand towards his chest. The mood morphs into something considerably more carnal. Just like in Dirty Dancing, the woman assumes the role of baby, reaching in to reveal an obnoxiously bulbous pectoral. With a caress, the woman pants, his hands slide down to her waist, their lips inch closer and closer. Clearly hot and bothered, she jumps atop Jesus, staring into his eyes as something catches her periphery. Looking beyond the Lord, she is startled to see another presence approaching. Closing in, she realises it is a man that is completely ablaze, shrieking in agonising pain. Her ecstasy shifts to horror as the man inches closer. She screams. 
Cut to Interior Bishop home, master bedroom, early morning Edie Bishop, late 30s Snaps upright from bed Still sporting the horrified look from the beach She uses her hands to help catch her bearings The sand, now decent thread count sheets Her shrouds, now cotton PJs Beside her, standing in for the Lord and Saviour Henry Bishop, 40s Her husband is deep into an REM cycle The oscillating pshhh of his CPAP machine hisses white noise for their quiet existence. Edie's hands continue to feel around to assess her nethers. Her lips curdle in wretched disgust. In a careful panic, she rises from bed to pull on a bathrobe. Underneath, she methodically slides off her PJs and discards the soiled underwear into the laundry hamper. Upon expelling the evidence, Edie gazes toward the adjacent wall adorned with an ornate crucifix featuring a disdainful Jesus, seemingly peering into her festering soul. A creep of judgment shivers up her spine. Credits roll. Emily Quiver. End of cold open. Act 1. Exterior. Bishop home, driveway, dawn. The rising sun gives the serenely sterile Indiana neighborhood a soft, warmish hue. With a cautious glance of the surroundings, Edie tiptoes to their garbage bin. She pulls out the incriminating undies and stuffs them into the bottom of the heap. Even with banishing such evil to the ether, she remains on edge after a moment of contemplation. Interior, Bishop home, garage hallway, continuous. Edie treads softly through the hallway, en route to the room she's certain her husband has never entered. Interior. Laundry room. Continuous. Atop a step stool placed on the whirlpool washer, Edie carefully yanks the AC vent. Even with bated breath and the utmost caution, she winces at the shrill screech of galvanised steel scraping aluminum until the vent pops free. She carefully plops it onto an elevated basket of laundry. Now elbow deep in the shaft, Edie pulls out her contraband with such secrecy, one would think she's smuggling a World War II Enigma machine. Instead, her hand emerges with a paperback in tow, 50 shades of grey. Exterior, Bishop home, driveway, moments later. Edie leans even further into the garbage bin and deposits the book. Before letting go, something catches her eye along the book's vertical edge. A purple smudge. Lily. She jams the book even further down and closes the lid. Interior. Bishop home. Kitchen. Morning. Edie quietly sits at her breakfast stoop. She sips coffee while silently jotting away on three by five note cards. From Edie's point of view, in notably masculine handwriting, she dictates her thoughts with some final emphatic pen strokes. Be not afraid. Edie retracts the pen. With a satisfied nod, she slides the cards into the pages of a well-worn King James Bible, idling near the head of the table. Beyond the Bible, she shifts her attention to the wall, decorated with yet another Christ. This one has him offering the multitudes bread and fish. After gawking at him long enough, interior, bishop home, 
kitchen a little later. Edie returns, brandishing her own guilty offering to the multitudes, egg, casserole and croissants. Henry walks in with determined verve. He carries the air of a 50s ad man, albeit a collared golf shirt embroidered with a logo for the New Harmony Lutheran Church. Ah, she rises while it is yet night. I see what you did there. And provides food for her household. He admires the culinary display. (laughs) Well done. He softly grasps Edie's shoulder and leans to her side. She awaits a cheek peck only to have him crane around to her ear. Can you drop the alb off at the cleaners? Sure. Still on the plank for intimacy, a corny cheek pinch. You're the best. Before shoveling his lion's share of breakfast into a plate, with a big bite, he pulls out the note cards from his Bible. After a quick scans of each card... (laughs) Good stuff. Henry tucks the cards away and resumes gorging. The alb, that is a lot for a Wednesday service. Honey, remember? The folks from the Synod are coming in from Fort Wayne. Shoot, that's right. Sorry. In fact, I hope we remember today as the day our church became part of something big. Beyond being a house of God? Beyond the beyond. Edie jots dry clean alb into the bottomless checklist for today's chores in a curiously more feminine scrawl. Moments later, lighter footsteps slowly slog into the kitchen. Lily, 16, emerges with the low-energy sleepiness inherent to teenagers. She bypasses the table for the cupboards. Morning, sweetie. Egg casserole? No, thanks. Lily makes her way to the table with a pack of Pop-Tarts. Lily, eat the casserole, please. It's fine. No, when my mother cooked, you better believe we had to sit our butts down and eat it. Before or after she used the N-word. Henry, increasingly irritated. What was that? Lily takes her seat and reaches for a side plate. Nothing. Casserole. Yum. Checking his watch. Time to get this show on the road. Can you be a dear and give this a once-over? Henry plucks out the note cards. He slides them across the table before heading down the hall. Lily grabs Edie's pen with her free hand and begins to methodically proofread. Through Lily's impressive multitasking... Edie intently eyeballs her daughter's despotic pen slashes, accented with fresh purple nail polish. Your nails look so... shiny. Yeah, I like them. Hopefully you didn't touch anything while they were still wet. Nope. When it comes to nails, I'm surgical. Henry returns holding his alb on a hanger. He hooks the large, ornately adorned white robe to the coat rack just within Lily's periphery. Is Beyonce performing at service? You wish. Those important men from Fort Wayne will be there tonight. Got it. But aren't all men trying to be important? Henry tightens, even more irked that Lily can stir the pot without having to look up from proofing. Well, Gloria Steinem, these men are here to help make our church stronger. Uh, When you drop it off, I would love for you to stick around. Okay. But book club is today, too. I'll make sure you get your time with the ladies. He leans in towards Edie, slowly reaching. Just want to show you off a bit to these folks. For his keys on the table, Lily takes enough umbrage to look up. Show her off? It's important for the ILS to see us as a normal, happy family. Right before enacting Prima Nocta. Prima what? Lily checks over to find Edie staring daggers. Oh, 
Nothing. Just an old medieval thing we learned about. With a final flourish of the pen, she hands the cards back. Just a few things. Now you're just showing off. Still some issues with ending on prepositions. Edie silently soaks in the inadvertent critique. But, you know, Moses and Paul had the same problem. Are you telling me God's word has grammatical issues? Until she has to play peacekeeper. Lilith, please don't do this today. Go grab your bag. Honey, I'll drive her. I'm heading to the cleaners anyway. Lily swiftly shuffles from her seat and retreats upstairs. Edie sulks as she awaits judgment. Of all days. I know. The rebellious dwell in a parched land. It's my fault for not stepping in sooner. I'll talk to her. Henry leans in to reward her answer with a rough, unsatisfying peck to the forehead. He exits to the garage. Edie lets out a long, audible sigh. She closes her eyes. Behind her, the seamless robe of Jesus shuffles in. His oversized, rugged mitts glide up the nape of her neck. Mom? Edie snaps out of her staccato bliss to find Lily holding her bag, watching intently. Edie, hands mid-caress, awkwardly attempts to make it look like she's scratching. Exterior. Edie's van, morning. Edie's innocuous family van rolls into Main Street, New Harmony, Indiana. A quintessential Midwest utopia. Mild-mannered small-town folk go about their usual happenings along the business district, adorned with boutique shops and tidy municipal buildings. Just past Main Street, an outdoor plaza area featuring the roofless church, a mid-century sculpture that does, ironically, have a curved roof along with a small cross-toting fountain surrounded by expansive courtyard. The van turns off the main path. Interior. Edie's van. Morning. Lily. Mid-inquisition. Shit. Language. I'd like to think you have a pretty hip mom, all things considered, but we do not talk like that. Shoot. Sorry. Wait for your nails to dry next time. So much for quick dry. How did you even know about the vent? I sleep right above the laundry room. It was that, or you're stowing a rabid wolverine inside the AC. Far from the parents' playbook, scolding while caught. For he knows the secrets of the heart. Don't you saw me? Like your father hasn't hounded me enough. You have any idea how he would take it if he- I can say the same for you! Stop that! It was for book club. Sure. It's just sort of funny that, you know, the holiest mom of New Harmony, Indiana has a chamber of secrets. Be a hornball all you want. Hornball? I could never! Come on, Mom! I'm proof you've had sex at least once. Edie boils over. I didn't even finish it! Please tell me that was about the book. I tossed that smut in the trash this morning. Good. That's where it belongs. We can't have such sinful material in our house. Sinful? Throw it out because it's terrible. Terrible? Horrible! Helen Keller could write better than that, pre-Anne Sullivan. Well, aside from that comparison... She turns a curious ear. What was so bad about it? Why would you, of all people, want to know? Because I can't show up to book club and tell them I didn't read it. Astrid will eat me alive. Astrid's a big piece of work. Uh. Humor me, please. Where do I even start? 
For starters, you have Anastasia, this completely passive protagonist. Cut to exterior, dry cleaners, morning. Post-school drop-off, Edie dives into her daily errands while practicing Lily's critique on Fifty Shades. She isn't a character more than she is a slow-moving swan of one of those corny tunnel of love rides. Interior, garden supercenter, morning. Inside a massive warehouse retrofitted into a botanical Costco, Edie tosses an oversized bag of mulch over her shoulder. She gives a wave to the cashier and resumes. How can anyone get on board with a female that's borderline a nun? Interior, grocery store, late morning. Efficiently working her way through the aisles, Edie quietly murmurs to herself as she plucks items from the shelves. And then seemingly overnight, turns into some goddess of sex. Even saying sex out loud leaves Edie unnerved especially as she turns into an aisle with an audible tsunami of rampant children coming from the opposite end. Edie catches Pamela Winger, 30s, idling near the magazines. Her Midwest fashion reads, I've given up, whilst her demeanor reads even sadder. In a daze, Pamela grins at the greased-up Adonis chewing up the cover of Men's Health. Despite her rowdy offspring running amok near the seafood area. Pamela? Edie! Oh, gosh, hi. How are things? Oh, you know, this. She checks on her younglings as they knock into the lobster tank. Her toddler, B, plays with a tube of lipstick. Just a cavalry of rough riders right here. <laughs> Every day. But the fruit of the womb, a reward, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But hey, while we're here chatting... Pamela readies a pitch. Any slots open for book club? Edie looks past their conversation to see Pamela's oldest Hellraiser, Ezra, six, anchoring Jaden, four, on his shoulders to reach into the tank. I hear you guys are reading some pretty, uh, interesting stuff. Edie uses the Child Trapeze Act as an apt distraction. Yeah, you know, I think that's a Jill question. Pamela takes the hint and twists around. Oh, dear lord. One hand on the cart, she waddles backward. We'll talk. See you at service. With Pamela playing warden amid a prison break, Edie looks relieved to have dodged both the book club bullet and further glimpses into what her life might have become. She carts on, resuming Lily's Fifty Shades spiel. But more importantly, that she lacks the agency to discover that for herself. Exterior. Church lot, noon. A mid-century brick building brandishing a sign for the New Harmony Lutheran Church. Below the marquee, a custom message plays both cutesy and menacing in a way only Midwesterners can pull off. Prayer is a weapon that should never be concealed. Edie pulls into a spot and notices a handful of Mercedes with Indiana Lutheran synod decals on the side. She needs some playboy to show up to her hardware store job and grant her permission to be empowered? Interior. Church. Moments later. Edie, with the alb still in its plastic, cautiously steps in near the nave as Henry confidently entertains the cavalcade of Indiana synod reps up front near the pulpit, showing off his sermon delivery. She catches Henry's glance to give a friendly wave. Turtling back into her subordinate housewife role, eyes narrowed, he ticks his head towards the back corner. Edie takes the hint and softly backpedals undetected through the entrance. Exterior. Church. Continuous. She reroutes to the side of the building and digs out her keys for the side entrance. Interior. Church. Sacristy. 
moments later. Like some form of church espionage, Edie quietly slides the alb into an antique wicker wardrobe and shuts the doors. With an exhale, she turns around to scan the room. Countless portraits of Jesus and artefacts line the walls, eyes fixed on their secretive subject. Interior, church, continuous. Edie re-enters near the group. Henry seizes the opportunity. Ah, with divine timing. Allow me to introduce you to my better half. He steps down and pulls her by the hand up to the nave. My wife, Eden. Hello. Welcome. They seem a little disappointed in the delivery. Praise Jesus. That's better. The group responds accordingly. Praise Praise Jesus. Jesus. All with the exception, the gentleman on the far end, Franklin Sunday, 60s, gives off Colonel Sanders vibes in both garb and temperament. This is Franklin Sunday. He's the head honcho up there in Fort Wayne. Edie extends a hand. Thank you for joining us today. Franklin grabs it with an alpha grip. His male gaze hopscotches the line between desire and discernment. Our pleasure. Giddy to hear one of these sermons from your husband. Everyone's been hooting about them. With a gulp, Edie opts to mask her indignation with a smile. They sure are something to behold. Rather than a chivalrous comment on Edie's smile... Well, you sure got yourself a pretty wife here, Henry. Thank you, Mr. Sunday. But only one child? Just like Joseph and Mary. Hmm. Well, Joseph ain't really in the fun part of that equation. Setting his sights on Henry. Maybe your daughter was also... immaculate? The group chuckles, with a roasted Henry attempting to play along. (laughs) Edie can't hit the eject button soon enough. Book club time. That's right. Thanks for stopping by. What book for this week? Oh, it's nothing. Just mostly the ladies and I gabbing. Gabbing, huh? (laughs) I'd be careful. A hundred years ago in these parts, they would have burned you and your gals as witches for gabbing. Before it can really go off the rails. I wouldn't be so sure about that. Use that roofless church over there as a skillet. The Synod cronies admit another uniform how. Unfortunately, that beloved landmark wasn't built until 1960. You don't think we burned witches in 1960? He slowly leans in towards Edie. That was when their meat started tasting real good. And he lets out a cackle. (laughs) Before slinging his arm around Henry, further asserting dominance. Just razzing you, sweetie. Franklin grips Henry's shoulders converting him into a human steering wheel. Let's continue the tour. Sure. Let me show you what we're hoping to do with the chancel. See you at service? Wouldn't miss it. Edie watches Henry wither as he impotently lurches forward. Even as the group turns a corner, she finds herself still choking on the air of chauvinism. End of Act One. Act Two. Interior. Johnson Home. Living room. Afternoon. Edie holds court amid the circle of female book club members. This feels more like therapy than a book report. God forbid Anna can grow on her own. She needs a man for that? Please. At the far end, Astrid Carlyle, late 20s, the Indiana equivalent to Marla Singer from Fight Club, obnoxiously stirs a cup of tea. Astrid prepares to pounce. Oh? Preach, sister. She emphasizes the jab with a slurp of tea. 
As the pastor's wife, I'm surprised those pure eyes didn't burn out of that cute little face by chapter two. The sex wasn't too much. Nope. The Bible isn't all fire and brimstone about that, you know. Would the old ball and chain agree? Jill Johnson, 40s. The book club's host and Mercutio among warring houses attempts to intervene. All right, enough picking on Edie. What did the other ladies think? Teresa Baker, 40s, another club stalwart. You and Henry aren't going to, you know, boot us for talking about it, will you? My lips are sealed. Literally. Jill once again must intercede. Oh, hush. What? You ladies invited me in to bring a little spice to all the Midwest blandness. Did you not? We sure did. With a shush, Jill attempts to right the ship. Teresa, please continue. Well then, I have to say it was well worth the wait. A majority nod in agreement. Astrid eats it up. I mean, it's been, what, nine years or so since this came out? It feels good to see what the fuss was all about. And? I gotta say, it was real hot. Most ladies chuckle. Barbara Burke, 60s, the elder of the club, won't hold back. Heck, I'll say it. My britches are still soaked. Cripes, cover your ears, Edie. (laughs) (laughs) See, we read a banned book and the town isn't in flames. I mean, plus we didn't have to waste a tank of gas hauling up to Vandenberg County for a Barnes & Noble. Praise the Lord. Edie uncomfortably shifts her weight. You gals enjoying them makes all that shipping and handling worth it. Thank you for sharing. So, Edie, you're up next. What do you have for us? Next week, I'll love. If we read The Shack for the tenth time, I swear I'm going to inject botulism directly into my uterus. Astrid, please. But dang it if she ain't right. Bless your heart, Edie, but after this, I do worry. Reading another one of those C.S. Lewis books may cause my maidenhead to grow back. (laughs) We can't have that. But a book about regaining your hymen is right in our precious flowers wheelhouse. Astrid conceals a smug smirk. Isn't that right, Eden? Edie has had enough. Not even close. The book I'm bringing is way hotter. A curious hush among the group. Really? Shoot. Astrid called her bluff. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, easily the hottest thing I've ever read. What book? Oh, it's a surprise. I had to special order them, you know. The group waits with bated breath. Expedited shipping. A group guffaw. Edie, with a gulp, goes all in. Heck, I might even need to special order a snorkel so I don't drown in you gals after reading it. Edie has successfully won the group over. Astrid takes another sinister sip. Can't wait. Cut to interior. Edie's van, late afternoon. Edie's nervous face reads, that escalated quickly. Eden Bishop, you've done it now. Exterior. New Harmony High School, late afternoon. Edie pulls up to see Lily once again showcasing her multitasking, reading Throne of Glass while silently slaloming schoolmates. She gets in without looking up from the book. Interior. Edie's van. Continuous. Attempting to break the ice. Please tell me you talked to at least one human today. No response. Lily. Lily extends her pointer to indicate one minute. She fights her way through the page and slides in a bookmark. What's up? How was book club? Um, things got interesting. Cut to. Interior. Bishop home. Late afternoon. 
Lily steps in from the garage. So after you threw that smut in the trash, you now need new smut? Edie gives her a wide-eyed hush indicator. There's a better way to phrase that, but yeah. Let's not cast stones we don't have to. This is not a glass house, Mom. You make it sound like we're talking about building pipe bombs here. You're just looking for some sexy book. Edie's once again lost control. Shh! Lilith Bishop, I've had enough of the back talk. Come on, don't be... Not another word. Lily goes for it. Why are you so scared all the time? Edie extends a shaky pointer within inches of Lily's nose, exercising every ounce of restraint she has. Go to your room. No phone. No internet. You are going to get ready for service, and I'm not going to hear a darn peep from you until we leave. Nod if you understand. Lily lets out a deep breath and nods. She quietly retreats upstairs. Interior. Edie's van, evening. Adorned in their finest Wednesday church garb, Edie and Lily's prolonged silence continues to fester. Her disciplinary facade softening, Edie decides to call an audible. She turns off their usual route. What's the matter? I have an idea. Interior, New Harmony Books, moments later. The town's quaint mum and pop bookstore. Despite countless visits, the two nervously attempt to stroll past the register only to have Tom, 17, one of Lily's schoolmates, give them a holler from behind the counter. Look at these troublemakers. Lily attempts to wave as Edie pulls her into the stacks. This was a horrible idea. Duh, you can't fart in this town without Tom announcing a gas leak. What now? Lily takes a look back at the counter. I'm willing to dive on the sword, but I at least get internet tonight. Fine. Lily backpedals to the counter. Small talk isn't her strong suit, especially in the presence of Tom's shit-eating grin. So, what's up? With Tom distracted, Edie proceeds to the stacks. Interior. New Harmony book. Shelves. Continuous. Edie ganders at the excessively large Christianity section before heading further in. She reads the sections biography, history, reference, and finally, to fiction. She scans through the subcategories. No sign of anything resembling romance. In her search, she notices something off. A stack of Bibles placed in the fantasy section. Edie immediately pulls the pile and carries them to their rightful area. Interior, New Harmony book. Counter, continuous. Lily has managed to talk books with her mark. Never heard of it. And I'm sort of the guy in this town that would know something like that. It's pretty good. This girl, Siliana, has been trained to be this epic assassin her whole life, and then she gets sent to a slave camp. It's awful, and she suffers until this prince, Prince Dorian, pulls her out to be his champion fighter. Sounds lame. Does she get destroyed, like, immediately? Unlike her mother, she will not back down. With Edie nearing the counter, Lily leans in. She absolutely wrecks shit. Lily corrects her posture as Edie falls into formation. What were you looking for, Mrs. Bishop? Nothing, really. Just snooping. For... Edie yields with a sigh. (sighs) Well, I was hoping to find something a little, you know, girly. Like a Jane Austen novel? Nope. 
Pop Pop makes the rules here, and one of them is, if it ain't Eve or a cookbook, no selling girl books. Oh, Gus. Still the charmer. Why are you snooping for girly books right before service? Oh no, just curious. The ladies head for the exit. As they leave. I also want you to know, somebody move your New Testaments to the fantasy section. Might want to keep an eye on that. Tom is mortified. I am so sorry. Who in the heck would do that? Lily gives a caustic shrug. Exterior. New Harmony book. Continuous. Tom flicks off the open neon sign and turns the key to lock the entrance. He gives a wave toward the ladies. See you at the church. Edie gestures back before resuming the march to the car. Great. Romance is apparently dead in New Harmony. Whatever. Those books are lame. Any cover where the dude has a horse mane was probably written by someone with dyslexia. You want internet? Be nice. Just saying. Any weirdo can write horrible romance and some horny housewife will buy it somewhere. Before stepping into the van, Lily gazes down Main Street. Except here, of course. Edie sees what she means. Down Main Street. Every storefront of New Harmony gets locked and abandoned. Cars pull out from staggered parking slots, presumably en route to Henry's church. Lily plops down in shotgun. Edie reaches for the door and pauses as she buffers what her daughter said. Interior. Church. Evening. Susan, 70s, New Harmony's ancient organist, leans into some friendly major chords for My Song is Love Unknown, the Margaritaville of Lutheran hymns. In the front row, Edie singing too loud to notice Lily half-assing her rendition. On the far side, Edie's book club contingent and their families struggle to keep their composure as Pamela attempts to orchestrate a ceasefire with her kids a few rows back. Just beyond the club, the Synod shows complete disinterest in joining the hymn. The song winds down. Everyone takes their seats. Henry, dressed to the nines in the alb, steps up to the pulpit. Before continuing on, I would like to extend our welcome and blessings to some special guests, the Indiana Lutheran Synod. Friendly claps. Franklin gives the default nod. He's done for many a congregation. If our church was a cable modem, ILS is the Wi-Fi helping spread the gospel to dozens of churches from South Bend to Evansville. Lily leans in. Didn't think Dad had a hit metaphor like that in him. Edie will take whatever indirect compliment she can. Henry continues. Today, I would love to talk about fear. For some, that fear is God's judgment. They can find themselves beholden to the thought that God is all-seeing, and they become paralyzed. Edie subtly sinks into her chair, her own words hitting a little close to home. Yet with their fear of being under the watchful eye, how can they properly live? The world's changing every day. Life moves fast. And here are these poor souls, lost in the land with no plan. Lily breaks Edie's trance. That's mine. Beautiful. It's a Tupac lyric. Who? He was a poet. Awaiting the beat drop. Their whole life. All eyes on me. 
Lily fist pumps. Edie responds with a cursory elbow. In fear of that judgment, they go inward and fail to share their gifts with the world. That's why I love the Gospel of John. The boat treading the troubled waters of Galilee with no end in sight. Fear was preparing to take over when he peers across the water to find who else but Jesus walking over. His words, be not afraid. Edie sinks further into her seat, taking a trip down memory lane. Her gaze goes past her husband and onto Jesus on the crucifix. She fixates on his remarkably chiseled abs. Jesus reminding us that no matter how troubled the water, every ripple of that struggle is within God's plan. Be not afraid. Edie returns to earth to internalize her words as they spring from Henry's lips. With any endeavor in life, Jesus would never want us to just dip the toe in the water. He wants us to do a cannonball. A few yips from the crowd. <laughs> Be sure to avoid those folks at the pool. <laughs> Otherwise, make that splash. Take that chance. Take that step towards what you've been most afraid of. Edie's eyes gleam with affection for her husband. His delivery almost helps her forget she wrote it. The words motivate something within her. Light your beacon in the name of God and love. You are to bear this light. It is all within the plan. Be not afraid. Applause from the congregation. Edie, the most animated of all. It even impressed the Synod members, all except, of course, Franklin. He soaks in the response with methodical gears turning in his head. Henry grins from ear to ear, knowing he's stuck the landing. Exterior. Church. Night. As the citizens of New Harmony empty out, Edie and Lily lean against bordering church pillars. Edie's point of view. Past the fray, Franklin and the Synod folks exchange congratulatory handshakes with an ecstatic Henry. Susan, oversized sheet music tucked under her arm, tugs at Edie's sleeve. How wonderful was that sermon? Henry's writing? I mean, my goodness. <gasps> oh. Susan gives a clutch-chested gasp. He sure knocked it out of the park. Such a blessing for you to have that man in your life. Be sure to take care of him. <sighs> Gotta find a way to get you a brother or sister. <laughs> Heck, maybe both. <sighs> Sounds exhausting. Oh, no, no, no. If I had a man like Henry, Lord knows he could put whatever he wanted into me. <sighs> Edie extends a hand to help guide Susan away. Okay, off you go, Susan. Have a wonderful evening. Once Susan disappears into the crowd, Lily leans in. Do you think whatever antique egg she just ovulated for Dad has a chance? Or will it turn to dust the moment it lands in the universe? Edie swats a fin at Lily's sternum. Shouldn't you be organizing the hymn books? Lily heads back inside. Interior. Bishop home. Master bedroom. Night. Henry, back in civilian clothes, struts into the bedroom with a little bit of swagger. He slides into bed next to Edie, buried in her phone. His arms interlock around her waist. A good day. A special day. What did the Fort Wayne game think? We start talking absorption later this week. Edie rotates around with enthusiasm. Oh, sweetie, that's wonderful. You're wonderful. We did this together. Edie yields the spotlight. I mean, if you say so, but... 
He shushes her with a sultry finger to the lips, looking deep in her eyes, pulling out his bedroom voice. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Oh. And they shall become one flesh. For once, he goes in for the kill and lays a big one on her. She quickly discards the phone and yanks him in at the hips. Like pen-up high schoolers, they awkwardly gyrate. Edie can't take it anymore and jumps on top. I will climb the palm tree. Reaching her hand down his pants. I will take hold of its fruit. Henry curls his back in excitement, only to find himself gawking at the Jesus on the wall. The judgment is too much. Quickly deflated, Henry guides Edie to her side. What's wrong? I just did a sermon. What would God think? She reaches for him again, pulling at his waistband. Isn't he supposed to share this bed with us? He... I... just... I can't. Not tonight. Henry goes rigid and retreats to his pillow. What about be not afraid? She stumped him. He sulks in the silence of no answer. I'm sorry. Are you mad at me? She rotates over to attempt comfort. Of course not. I just... You're the best. I try. A tender cheek kiss. Good night. Love you. Love you too. Before she can finish her response, the psh of the CPAP machine kicks on. He's down for the count. She shifts to her back and stares up at the ceiling. Interior. Bishop home. Master bedroom. Dream sequence. A beam of light expands across her part of the bed, only to be eclipsed by a shadow. She opens her eyes to find Jesus, on all fours, crawling up to her on the bed. No way. Yahweh. He leans in for a kiss. Edie interjects. What would your dad think? He loves to watch. Jesus lands his kiss. She grips a handful of sheet. He works his way down. She turns her head to afford him more real estate. She bites her lip in bliss when she detects a warm glow across her face. She opens her eyes to see the man on fire lying beside her. She wakes to his tortured scream. End dream sequence. Interior, bishop home, master bedroom, continuous. Edie awakes from the dream. Rinse and repeat. End of act two. Act three. Interior, bishop home, kitchen, morning. Edie. Same breakfast spread, this time with even more food guiltily prepared as she awaits her family. Interior, bishop home, office, late morning. Edie finds herself staring down the barrel of the blank white screen from their desktop computer. All right, Eden. How hard can a romance novel be? After a prolonged study of the keyboard, she cautiously pokes at the keys. The man looks. He has pretty eyes. She likes his pretty eyes. They touch with their eyes and with their bodies. With a wrong keystroke, she inadvertently minimizes the window. On screen, a desktop image featuring Jesus shepherding a flock of lambs. Edie quickly pulls the processor back up to emphatically hit delete. Interior, Bishop home, laundry, moments later. Edie successfully distracts herself by diligently starting on the family's laundry. Interior, Bishop home, office, day. 
A new death. Back at the keyboard, she clears her throat and tries again. He rips his wet shirt off, revealing his rockin' bod. She's not sure if she wants to kiss his abs or great cheese on them. Edie scoffs. Interior. Bishop home, kitchen, night. Edie serves notably cheese-soaked pieces of chicken to Henry and Lily for dinner. Interior. Bishop home, office, day. Increasingly more determined. She can feel his manhood about to burst out of his pants. And then it does. She is beholden by this thing slapping against his thigh like some anaconda from hell. Increasingly more frustrated, Edie abandons all hope. Exterior. Bishop home, backyard, day. Edie intensely prunes rose plants. Spreading a massive bag of mulch along the landscape, Edie's sandaled foot kicks something solid. Ow! A lawn ornament featuring Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Whether it's agony in her foot or her soul, Edie lets out a muffled but cathartic scream. Interior. Bishop home, kitchen, morning. Edie winces as she works away on another note-carded sermon. Later. Lily slides her edits to Henry. Beautiful. I'll see you guys there. Henry hops out to the garage. Lily catches a glance of Edie's foot extended under the table. Now a fully blotted black and blue. Are you okay? I'm fine. Just had a little accident in the garden. Did your leg get stuck under a boulder in the garden? No. I accidentally kicked the Jesus. Lily curls a patronizing grin. Interior. Church. Day. Edie attempts to hide her limp, working her way into a pew. She checks to see Henry preoccupied with other church attendees. Susan's organ cues everyone to rise. Edie winces as she stands. Lily snickers. What's so funny? A lot. Henry rises up to the pulpit. Edie checks across the congregation for her ladies. In their usual spot on the far side, sans Teresa. Edie finds Teresa sulking, as if in detention, several rows back with her husband. Dale, late 40s, looks tight-arsed enough to actually smelt a diamond up there. Exterior, church, parking lot, afternoon. (laughs) Pamela wildly bargains with her children to get into their minivan. Jeff, late 40s, thumbs the driver's wheel, completely oblivious to his wife's current struggle. Once she successfully clips B into the child seat, Pamela cannot slide the door closed soon enough. Looking back at the church, Pamela's point of view. She spies Edie alongside Jill, Barbara and Astrid. Following their eyes, Pamela finds Teresa sitting on a bench near the entrance. The only thing Teresa needs to further illustrate shame would be a dunce cap. Pamela's eyes narrow, processing what she's witnessing. I need to run back for something. She heads back for the entrance. Exterior, church, afternoon. Edie chats with the girls. What happened? Dale found her copy. Edie's hands go up across her mouth. (laughs) Right? What an amateur. Dale emerges with Henry. Mortified, Edie can only watch as Henry points Teresa back into the church before beelining it for the group. Did you know? 
Udi goes flush. Too petrified to respond, he directs the Inquisition towards the rest of the group. What are you ladies reading? With everyone speechless, Astrid takes charge. We've been working on Goliath Must Fall for the last month. Whatever it was Teresa got caught with, swear to God. What a time for that. Nervous glances abound. Was on her own time. We had no idea Teresa could be up to such blasphemy away from book club. Henry gauges the response. Join me in the sacristy, please. Edie follows him back to the church with the coast clear. The real irony is how many pornos start out the same way. Too far. The other ladies give her the eye. Sorry, just saying. From over her shoulder? Totally. All those priests in confession. The ladies turn to find Pamela eagerly attempting to join the conversation. Lots of holes packed into those small boxes, am I right? (laughs) The group stares blankly except for a relieved Astrid. Her look shifting to something more opportunistic. Finally, someone speaking my language. Interior, church, sacristy, moments later. From Edie's seated vantage, an unnerving display of Jesus portraits share a collective male gaze behind her husband and his wounded eyes. Honey, are you expecting me to be some kind of study hall monitor? Just for a bit. At least until the ink is dry. We can't afford to have the Synod think we're some haven of sinners down here. So you need me to tie up the women of New Harmony so that they can keep their traps shut? I'll certainly tell you what I don't need right now. A wife that backtalks me. Shots fired. Henry immediately walks it back. Sorry, I'm stressed. It's just... I... This is hard for me to admit, honey. Our church is hurting. It's been in bad shape for a while. But by God's grace, ILS is here to help. But they are particular. So a pastor with a vulgar daughter and a wife with lustful friends isn't ideal for our current situation. What I ask of you for now is help me with Lily and stay away from Teresa. Edie soaks it in. What are you going to do with Teresa? Help cleanse her of such unrighteousness so they can continue to be part of our church. I want you to have your book club, but that can change real quick. Despite trying to stay calm, she is now visibly irked. Like that's your choice? Heden, please. She opts for the silent treatment and leaves. Interior, church, continuous. Edie limps up to Lily, straightening up the hymn books. Everything okay? Let's head to the car. We'll cut out of here early. But I'm almost done. Now, please. Edie continues her march to the door when a voice echoes. Edie? Edie looks back to see Teresa down near the chancel. She's postured confidently despite the dread in her eyes. I'm tired of being afraid. Before any response, the door squeals open. Teresa melts into her seat as Henry takes a seat alongside the guilty party. Edie aggressively pushes the door open. Exterior. New Harmony, Main Street. Afternoon. The van speeds down the Main Street, completely barren on God's Day, except for the traffic light turning yellow. Interior. Edie's van. Continuous. Breaking to a stop, Edie's hands grip the wheel. Her breathing weighted her non-injured foot nervously tapping. Through the windshield, Edie stares off at the closed garden supercentre. Her attention drifts off. Cut to 
Interior, Garden Supercenter. Afternoon, Dream Sequence. Bolting past the wide berth entrance of the massive space, a vintage yellow Volkswagen Beetle drifts into frame and skids to a stop. Makeup smeared and beyond despondent, Edie rhythmically bangs against the steering column. This all feels familiar. She reaches into the guard box to unearth an old cassette and slips it into the tape deck. Opulent 80s synth blares through the speakers. In the rearview window, Edie catches the fiery gate of her true lover's eyes. Jesus, in a battered sweater and jeans, cigarette in one hand, beer in the other, using his body to communicate every ounce of angst the son of a god can carry. Shot by shot, the warehouse dance from Footloose unfolds. Jesus chucks the beer bottle with rhythmic banding, sachets in front of the headlights, then to the back trunk with an emphatic fist line. He undulates to the beat's crescendo. Jesus aerials out of frame. Off comes the sweater into the notorious tank top he pimples through the hallway of pallets. Jesus swan dives off a platform, zigzags along the warehouse floor, slides down the stairwell, swings from a rope atop the rafters, wildly dances to the chorus backlit by shuttered windows. Then the final chorus as Jesus grabs hold of that elevated bar, spinning at an Olympian level into the perfect dismount. Still suspended in air, possibly even flying, Edie lusting inside the beetle until a pre-lap. Green light! End dream sequence. Cut to interior. Edie's van, continuous. Edie snaps back at the traffic light, Lily providing her usual terse stare. Edie jams on the gas, desperate to find any distraction. What's happening at school this week? Exterior, Bishop home, driveway. Afternoon. The van pulls in. Lily empties out. Edie cracks the window. Honey, I can tell you 100%. They all know you're talented. Makes you wonder what might be up Mr. Crenshaw's you-know-what. I just don't think he likes fantasy. He's a creative writing teacher in rural Indiana. I get it. But I'm much better than a bee. Yes, you are. You went to school with him, right? Was he always this bitter? As Edie reminisces... She bites her lip. He was. Far from it. What was his feedback? It's stupid. He just drills one phrase into our heads all day. Write what you know. Lily steps inside. Edie goes inward. Interior. Bishop home. Master bathroom. Night. Husband and wife at dueling faucets. Brushing their teeth. An emotional chasm between the two, despite the proximity. You want me to leave the light on for you? I'm gonna stay up for a bit. Okay. Good night. Interior. Bishop home. Office. Late night. Countless note cards of past sermons strewn across the floor. Edie, another thousand-yard stare towards the glowing screen. Write what you know. She closes her eyes to quell the conflicting camps of love and fear. With another deep exhale, she starts typing. She heard his voice calling in the distance. And what had been dormant is now awakened. Edie finds herself transported back to the opening fantasy with her desk and computer. 
She watches omnisciently as her romantic iteration embraces her lord and savior. Fingers furiously pound against the keys as she witnesses the unfulfilled fantasy. Kissing, skin against skin, veins bulge, limbs rhythmically intertwined until one final climactic moan precedes a massive wave crashing behind Christ. Edie collapses backwards into the sand in post-coital bliss. Cut to interior, Bishop home, office, continuous. Lily steps in to find the crime scene of burning the midnight oil, the victim out cold from an all-nighter. She rouses Edie with a hand on the shoulder. Oh my. Yeah. Interior, Bishop home, kitchen, continuous. Edie rifles in to find Henry toiling away near the burners, doing his best to make a presentable egg and bacon breakfast. You lost there? I was, but trying to find home. Despite her days, Edie appreciates the effort. Henry pulls her close. Can I come home? It's a start. He leans in for a peck. Morning breath be damned. Interior. Bishop home. Office. Continuous. Lily refreshes the desktop screen and starts reading. Interior. Bishop home. Kitchen. Moments later. Lily re-enters. A hand discreetly slides out of her pocket. Thank you for the mercy. Who are we without mercy? Lily heads for the garage. Edie catches on. Try your dad's breakfast. Already did. It was edible. A bona fide miracle. I'll be right out. He leans towards his wife. Who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Oh, um, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. She's still got it. Some book you guys are reading. (laughs) It is quite the page turner. Hope the gals don't hate me after Teresa Gate. I'm sure they'll be just fine. Through the garage door. Dad, I'm gonna be late. Henry reaches for his keys. Get some sleep. No rest for the wicked. He giggles out the door. (laughs) Edie heads back to the office. Interior. Bishop home. Office. Continuous. She looks upon the horror of her note cards. Kicking through the mess, she slides into the chair and checks her work. Now you've really done it. With little hesitation, she mouses up to the delete. Still unsatisfied, she double-checks the trash bin and empties it. Interior. Bishop home. Office. Moments later. In full cleaning gear, Edie ties a rubber band to the final stack of cards when her phone buzzes through her sweats. Hello? A familiar voice belonging to a surprisingly eager Pamela. Hi, it's Pam. Can I call you back? I'm right in the middle of- I'll make it real quick. I had a wonderful lunch with Astrid today and we got to chatting about Teresa. Oh, her marital issues? Bless their hearts for seeking Henry's help. No, I know what really happened. Pam, whatever you heard- Edie, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Cursing the heavens above, Edie opts to wave the white flag. What do you need from me? I want in. We already chatted about this. Astrid is vouching for me. Well, Astrid can't speak for everyone. Come on, throw me a bone. Find that Christian kindness in you. Did I ever tell you my only orgasms have been from giving birth? Edie responds accordingly, in barely concealed horror. Imagine how lonely a vagina must be that it takes a small human clawing their way out of it to have any shot at ecstasy. 
I'm tired of being just a baby factory. Mama needs escape. And fantasy is that escape right now. Please. Udi's eyes scrambled to find the right words. I'll talk to the girls. A joyous giggle from the other end. You're a darn saint, Edie Bishop. Click. Call disconnected. Edie stands in a daze. Interior. Bishop home. Master bedroom. Afternoon. Edie slipping out of a coma fills a warm body next to her. On the bed. She opens her eyes to find Lily. Why are you home? She pivots to the bedside clock. 4.30pm. Eden, for the love of Pete. Oh, I thought his name was Jesus. Udi tries to deflect. What the heck are you talking about? Lily pulls out a flash drive and dangles it over her mother. Edie's lethargy swiftly gives way to panic. Let's see what gold you've weaved. Interior. Bishop home, office, moments later. Lily slips the flash drive in and pulls up the file. For a first attempt at writing steamy Jesus erotica... Not bad. Edie is immediately triggered. You read it? Yeah. And almost vomed in the library. Thanks for that. At school? Relax. I never transferred it to the shared drive. It's fine. Delete it. No. Right now. Edie fights to get control of the mouse. I'm your mother. Lily easily overpowers her with a swivel chair hip check. Then what are you going to have Astrid and the girls read? I'll overnight something. Lily pulls up Amazon. Edie nervously paces behind. Even with Prime, nothing can make it until Thursday. Then there has to be something we can print off or something? There is. Absolutely not. We give you a pen name. No one will ever know it was you. With an eyebrow raise, Edie softens her defense. Like what? Middle name plus street you grew up on. Edie thinks. Rose Steam Mill? Never mind. Terrible born name. A what? How do you know that? There's no time. Let me think. Romance authors are usually something elegant plus something apropos to their material. Like a weather guy? Sure. That makes so much sense. Somebody named Marty Hale goes into meteorology? I'm No way. How about Emily? Oh. Like Eggbaum? I was thinking Dickinson, but sure. Edie takes a step and tries it out. Emily Steam Mill. No, no, no. Something that makes sense for this. What's something that will make Astrid tremble? Or quiver? Emily quiver? I don't hate it. Lily pulls up the story doc and sets up a title page. Emily Quiver presents A Divine Pounding. Lilith Bishop, absolutely not. It has to be classy. I'm all ears. How about... Edie reaches in and types. That'll do. Down the hall, the front door whooshes open. A gaggle of men's voices rumble down the hallway. Interior. Bishop home. Entryway. Continuous. Edie emerges to find Henry with Franklin and the Synod. Hi. Hello. Welcome. Taking a jab at Henry. We weren't expecting company today. Sorry, honey. Didn't mean to barge in like this. We were at the bank and realized I needed to pull some files off the computer. The group, just outside the office, Edie attempts to play goalie. Lily's in there doing schoolwork. What files do you need? Our state and federal returns are on there somewhere. He slips past to turn the knob and step in. They find Lily fixed on the screen, her poker face game strong. 
Henry gets close to catch a glimpse. You know how I feel about fantasy. Last one. Mr. Crenshaw wants me to do something more grounded. Good. Don't need more of that nonsense in the world. Sure. Speaking of, am I proofreading your sermon again? An exaggerated throat clear from Franklin in the doorway. (coughs) We good in here, Henry? Lily quickly closes the screens before Henry can turn back. It's all yours. She yields the chair to Henry. The ladies quickly retreat to the hallway as Franklin and the Synod squeeze their way in. Edie peers in, only to have them shut the door. Interior. Bishop home. Master bedroom. Night. Once again, at their faucets, Edie spits out toothpaste. If this is going to work, we need to set boundaries with them. You're right. My fault. You'll get a better heads up next time. We shouldn't have to dread random invasions of our privacy. Plus, why did you have to drag them to the bank? We're getting absorbed. That means everything. Finances, too. I just worry that they don't have the best of intentions. Can we please not talk about it? I'm fried. His wariness very much on her radar. Sure. After another few silent strokes, Henry has an epiphany. Did Lily imply that my sermons are fantasy? Are you offended? Edie faces him, with a newfound edginess. Because if someone was to be offended about sermons, shouldn't it be me? What are you saying? I'm not saying anything. Because I write it, and you say it. Where is this coming from? Just stop. Remember, he he opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Or should I write that one down for you too? Henry, foreign to this version of his wife, quickly wraps things up and retreats to the bed. Edie's nostrils flare as she searches for her breath. End of Act 3. Act 4. Interior. Bishop home. Office. Night. Lily working away at the computer. Edie softly saunters in. Can I help you with something? Edie mulls it over. When you're finished with your work, I was hoping to see if you could help, you know, do that one word. Zush, your story? Never mind, you don't have to. Oh, it needs to happen. The verb confusion alone would turn any excitable woman into the Mojave. Plus, the preposition issues. Lily's eureka moment. Does Dad write any of his sermons? Not a word. So when I axe out any 80s movies references? You're butchering my childhood. Oops. You can make it up to me by fancying this up. Of course. Hard or soft? Excuse me? Would you like a hardcover or soft one? Oh, that's way too much. You can actually do that? Dad had me learn how to rebind the hymn books last year. Not quite what he envisioned, but yeah. Um, let's go hard. She said it. How many? Exactly four. No more. I'll make an extra. Four. One per lady. Why risk it? Whatever. They'll be in your chamber of secrets by morning. Thank you. But don't stay up too late. Gen Z is pretty much nocturnal. Edie heads for the door. I don't remember Chamber of Secrets from scripture. It's from Harry Potter. Sorry I asked. That has to stay between us now, too. Good night. Night. Keep writing what you want. I'll deal with you-know-who. She closes the door. Interior. Bishop home. Master bedroom. Late night. Edie slogs back to bed and turns her side lamp off. Interior. Bishop home, hallway, continuous. The door creaks enough to reveal Lily peeking through, confirming lights out. 
interior, Bishop home, office, night. Lily hits print, pages upon pages pour out. Using the whoosh of the printer to cover her tracks, she digs into the closet to pull a few strands of laminate before electing to bust out the big guns. Black velvet. She lays out a single piece of velvet and measures the pages. Using a box cutter, she cuts a piece of sturdy cardboard into two equal cover flaps separated by a thinner strand. Using rubber cement, she surgically adheres the cardboard to the velvet. Folding the velvet over to the other end, voila, a homemade hardcover casing. With a little more adhesive, she slides in the first set of pages bearing the title, Lust for the Lord by Emily Quiver, and then slides a blank sheet on top before closing the cover. Interior, Bishop home, laundry room, late night. Slogging from the labour, Lily manoeuvres atop the washer to slide four black hardcover books into the chute. Cut to, interior, Bishop home, laundry room, morning. From the same vantage, Edie pulls the books out, gazing lovingly at the craftsmanship. Wow. Exterior, Bishop home, garage, later morning. Edie peeks her head out to check the neighbourhood. Coast is clear. She emerges with her stack of books. Interior, Edie's van, day. Edie looks over to check on the stack, carefully buckled up in the passenger seat. Exterior, Carlisle home, day. A nervous knock on one of the more opulent estates of New Harmony. A door opens and reveals an overzealous Astrid sporting only a form-fitting bathrobe. Her grin becomes dismay within a fraction of a second at the sight of Edie. I wanted to make sure you're the first to get a copy. Astrid stares down at the nondescript black cover. Not much of a book. It's one of those tiny books, uh, uh, novella. Astrid yanks the copy from Edie's hands. <sighs> a novella, perfect. Just the right length to read while I'm on the can. The barbs never cease. As Edie attempts a retort, Astrid shuts the door, inches from her nose. Exterior. Winger home. Day. A considerably more homely property, Edie's feet step atop a welcome mat that reads, This house runs on coffee and Jesus. She hands a copy off to giddy Pamela. Welcome to the club. Edie exits. Pamela opens up to the title page. Her eyes gape open. Holy. Exterior. Burke home. Day. Barbara, waving Edie off in her van. Upon opening it, Buckle up, Babs. Exterior, Johnson home, day. Finally to Jill. She opens up the cover and curls a grin. Aw, this should be a fun one. Edie gives a thumbs up before heading to the van. Interior, Edie's van. Afternoon. Lily hops into shotgun and performs her routine bookmark. How'd it go? I guess we'll find out tomorrow. Interior, Carla home, foyer, afternoon. Astrid, tying her robe back on, scrambles to the front door to give a final sultry smooch to an exiting mystery man. The door shuts and she heads for the entry table. Astrid pulls Edie's book out and opens to the title page. Emily Quiver? Another page turn met with surprise. Interesting. Interior, Johnson House, study, continuous. Jill's son and daughter watch TV in the adjacent room as she calmly works through the reading. A pleasant smile on her face deviates from the apparent raciness that's unfolding. Interior, winger home, stairs, afternoon. Pamela, finger marking a spot in the book, 
escapes the downstairs procession of children before entering her bedroom. What about snack time? If everyone gives Mama an hour, she'll get you enough sugar to give a rhino diabetes. What's diabetes? It's a Nintendo game. Go watch Paw Patrol or something until your dad gets home. Interior. Winger home. Bedroom. Continuous. Pamela scurries into bed only to get back up and head over to her dresser. She pulls the crucifix off the wall and jams it into a drawer. On top of the dresser, she turns a framed photo of Jesus downward before diving back into bed and opening the novella. Step by step, across the raging tide, his Galilean girth becomes its own seam along the seamless robe. Exterior, Burke home, back porch, continuous. Barbara sits on one of twin wicker rocking chairs next to a snoring and coveralled Bob Burke, 70s. I prepare to part my sea and make my feminine Eden his latest disciple. She stops rocking and leans forward. Christ, get it, Emily. A loud snore from Bob brings her to caution. His chair leans further and she resumes. Interior, winger home, bedroom, continuous. Pamela, now with a flop sweat. And thus, heaven above became the heaven within me. <sighs> Cut to exterior, Galilean shore, day, Pamela's fantasy. More Myrtle Beach than the Great Sea, she reclines in saturated sand as Pamela's Jesus appears. Her iteration both 20-something and top-knotted, a youth pastor of a messiah, he brushes wet strands of hair from her face. You are breathtaking. Back. Exterior, Burkheim, back porch, continuous. From the ground, Barbara's rocking chair begins rocking faster and faster. Exterior. Galilean shore, dusk, Barbara's fantasy. Far from the Sea of Galilee, closer to a party cove in the Ozarks. Barbara, deep into the throes, clinches her eyes as a massive wave slams against her for the finale. Panting, she opens back up to catch a final glimpse of Barbara's Jesus, obtusely muscled, five o'clock shadowed, and black. I'm drenched. We'll build an ark. I've got wood. They lay down another steamy kiss. Interior, Johnson home, study, evening. Jill nods with polite satisfaction. Good for her. Interior, Carlisle home, living room, evening. Astrid nearing the end. That bitch. Exterior, Burke home, back porch, continuous. Back to Barbara, no wicker can withstand that much friction. After a few more violent pendulous swings, a wicker leg snaps. Barbara tumbles over, waking Bob. What in the hell? Silence. Babs! Still no response. Barbara continues grinning on the ground. He stands to inspect the damage and catches a view of the black velvet lying beside her. As he bends over, she breaks from her bliss to realize the gravity of what's happening. Don't you dare. Bob picks it up anyway. It's my name on the mailbox, ain't it? And Gan does it where she left off. The hell is this? Interior, Johnson home, living room, day. Pamela beams in her chair alongside the club, although one chair remains vacant, Barbara. Welcome, Pamela. 
I, for one, am just tickled at your enthusiasm. As I'm sure we all are. Hopefully Babs is on her way. Who would like to start? Edie prepares for the prospective lashing. Well, who knew the pastor's wife could bring a little heat to this operation? Although, I did have some issues with the writing. The other attending ladies lend an ear. The writing just felt meh, right? Jill gets incredibly defensive. Come on, even for you, Astrid, that's really low. The women are astounded at Jill stepping out so far. Personally, it's amazing that Lily has such an imagination. Oh, well, thank you. I'll be sure to tell her. She fully realizes what Jill said. The other ladies' eyes exchange confused glances. Wait, what? I loved Lily's story. Edie immediately stands up and reaches for Jill's copy. She opens the cover, past the blank white sheet, and finds the title page for Kingdom of Glass by Lily Bishop. Edie's eyes gape in a panic. She frantically flips the pages to see all of Lily's story. Wait, Lily is Emily Quiver? Edie hands Jill's errant copy back and thumbs through Pam's, confirming Pam did, in fact, get her proper fix of the Lord. Of course not. Oh, phew. If she was in heat for Jesus like this at her age. Jill furrows a brow. In heat for Jesus? The heck did you guys read? Astrid sits back and takes her devious tea sip. This is just precious. Fighting off a panic attack, Edie silently grapples with the chaos she may have brought upon New Harmony. Cut to interior. New Harmony High School classroom, continuous. A manly hand, tightly gripping a red marker, boldly marks a C atop a neatly stapled homework assignment. The critic proceeds to shuffle it into a stack of papers bearing similarly mediocre grades. Over the man's shoulder, he yanks on the next assignment and notices a curious title page. His calming baritone reads it out loud. Lust for the Lord. He flips the page and reads on. A few lines deeper into the lurid narrative, he leans back into the creaky desk chair, revealing him to be Brad Crenshaw, late 30s, Lily's creative writing teacher, despite more mileage and a closer shave. He bears a striking resemblance to Edie's fantasy version of Christ. Jesus. Cut to black. End of episode. Emily Quiver, starring Kelly Sardinius. She heard his voice calling in the distance, and what had been dormant is now awakened. Jordan Maranto. Duh, you can't fart in this town without Tom announcing a gas leak. Joe Mallon. And here are these poor souls, lost in the land with no plan. Their whole life, all eyes on me. Lisa Loretta. Did I ever tell you my only orgasms have been from giving birth? Adam Quinnell. <laughs> Just razzing you, sweetie. Charlotte Rose. If we read The Shack for the tenth time, I swear I'm going to inject botulism directly into my uterus. Janet Quinones. In heat for Jesus? The heck did you guys read? Crystal Swan. Edie, I'm tired of being afraid. Amanda Cohen. Buckle up, Babs. 
Chris Gervais. Look at these troublemakers. Aaron R. Smith. We'll build an ark. I've got wood. Karina Hilliard. She slides in the first set of pages, bearing the title, Lust for the Lord. With Alec Gonzalez. What about snack time? And Dean Gonzalez. What's diabetes? Written by Aaron R. Smith. Editing and sound design by me, Allison Malden. Special thanks to Jim Boggs, who scored this in every episode of the Scriptcast so far. Thank you, Jim. I couldn't have done it without you. And thank you to my amazing cast, who never fail to dazzle me with their talent and positivity. Listeners, if you would like to hire any of the fantastic performers you've heard on the Scriptcast, please let me know and introductions will be made. You are cordially invited to join me on Instagram and Twitter at the Scriptcast, where I would love to hear from you. You can also find a complete list of credits for this episode at thescriptcast.com. And finally, I'd like to say that making this podcast was truly a leap of faith for me. When I began this project, I had no experience in audio whatsoever, and it was a steep, steep learning curve. But it has also been the best thing that I've ever done. I've met so many wonderful people, reconnected with old friends, and expanded my mind and skills in ways I never thought possible. If you have an idea in the back of your mind, something that just won't leave you alone, I hope you'll give it a try. It doesn't have to be fancy or perfect. I mean, sorry to tell you, but it will be perfect no matter what you do. But in the end, you'll have made something. And the joy and terror and laughter and frustration and hours of hard work you put in will enrich your life in so many unpredictable ways. And when you're finished making your thing, I hope you'll share it with the world. I know I'd like to see it. Until then, thank you for listening. What about snack time? If everyone gives mama an hour, she'll give you enough sugar to give a rhino diabetes. What's diabetes? It's a Nintendo game. Go watch Paw Patrol or something until your dad gets home. No, I know what diabetes is. It's a really bad illness. <laughs> <laughs> what about snack time? If everybody gives mama an hour, she'll give you enough sugar to give a rhino diabetes. What's diabetes? And seriously, what's diabetes? I don't know what it's a Nintendo game. Go watch Paw Patrol or something until your dad gets home. Uh, He messed it up! (laughs) What about snack time? If everybody gives mama an hour, she'll give you enough sugar to give a rhino diabetes. What's diabetes? I'm pretty sure it's not a Nintendo game. You haven't even heard that line yet. (laughs) What's that? How do you rhino get a Nintendo game?